Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Good morning to you all. Good to see you. And those that I can't see online, we welcome you as well. Today we're going to talk about gaining perspective. By the way, Pastor Kyle is out of town this weekend, but he'll be back with us next week. Yeah, we're going to talk about gaining perspective, and as I move into this talk today, I was thinking of a story that I heard a while back um, about a missionary by the name of James Frazier, and he served in the country that was then called Burma, now it's called Myanmar, and uh, he translated the Bible into, there's several languages in that nation, but one of those languages is pronounced Lisu. And uh, he translated the Bible into the Lisu language, and then he left a young man uh, with the task of teaching the people to read this new Bible. Uh, and so when he returns six months later, he found the teacher, this young man that he had trained, uh, with students seated around the table. There, were, there was a teacher and three other students. And um, when the scriptures were opened in front of the teacher, each student was to read from the Bible uh, where it was. And so the teacher read the Bible this way. The, the, the student on this side just kept the Bible where it was and read the Bible from this side. The student on this side read the Bible from this side. And the student at the other side read the Bible upside down. Because that's where they'd always sat. And so that's how they learn to read. Um, you can imagine if the only way you knew how to read was upside down, then, then that's what you knew. And it occurred to me as I heard that story that we can be like that too. We have our perspective on things from a certain angle. And sometimes it's good to change seats and, and, and to look at things from a different perspective because we just might understand things in a little bit different way. We're going to be reading today from uh, the book of Galatians, or, or rather the book of Ephesians, I should say. And um, the context of this message and, and this, this portion of scripture is that the Apostle Paul was writing this book from prison. Uh, he was in Rome in prison. And he was writing, particularly talking to Gentile, non-Jewish people, uh, and telling them that they were included in God's family too. And Paul uses an analogy of a building being built with many different blocks. And he said, Jesus, of course, is the chief cornerstone of that building, but we're all being put together in this building. And uh, this is what he says. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus." The power of perspective. Notice that Paul describes himself as I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. He did not say, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Roman government. Or he didn't say, I, Paul, sitting here rotting away in this lousy prison cell. 
I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Your perspective, your point of view makes all the difference. How about when you consider your place of work, wherever you uh, are employed? What is your perspective there? Are you just putting rivets in an airplane if you work at Boeing? Or is there more going on there? Is there a different perspective that you might take? Are you just someone who sells insurance or develops software? Or is there a deeper meaning and perspective that you can find in your work? Look with me at this scripture from Colossians, another of the, the letters or the epistles that the Apostle Paul wrote from prison. He said, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. You see how he's trying to help us with some perspective here? Yes, we may have uh, an employer, a boss, and, and, and they're the one that maybe sign our paycheck. But he's saying, I challenge you to consider the perspective that ultimately you're working for the Lord. There were three bricklayers that were out building a church building. They were laying bricks as this church building was being put together. And they were asked, the first one was asked, what are you doing? He said, I'm laying bricks. The second one was asked, what are you doing? He said, I'm making a living. And the third bricklayer was asked, what are you doing? And he responded this way. He said, I'm building a house where the church of Jesus Christ can meet. They were all doing the same thing, but they had a little bit different perspective, didn't they? Perspective changes everything. Some of you here are perhaps students in school. Are you just doing your time until you graduate? I hope not. I hope that you see that there's a lot more going on there and many opportunities that God has placed before you. How about in our families? Can we see that we're affecting the next generation, that we're impacting eternity? Step back and get some perspective. I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, was his perspective. And how about your perspective on the church? Did you just accidentally show up at Crossview Church? I don't believe that. You see, God has you here for a reason. God placed you here to be a part of the body, to use the gifts and abilities that he's given to you to contribute to what the Lord wants to do in this church and through this church in the community and around the world. What about your perspective on your current life situation? Maybe you're going through some challenging times right now. Is it possible for you to see that the challenges that you're facing now are a possibility for God's glory rather than just a pain in the neck? That's what we see from Paul's example here. Perspective makes all the difference. Now, as I said, Paul wrote this letter from prison, the letter to the church in Ephesus, but he considered himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Listen to the words of Paul in another of his prison epistles. This is the book of Philippians, and this is what he said in, in chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. He said, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, in other words, me being here in prison, has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. 
And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, people that have studied these things, most Bible scholars believe that Paul was in prison in Rome for about two years. He would have been chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. And uh, I understand that these guards were on four-hour shifts. So every four hours, a new Roman guard was chained to Paul. Paul had absolutely no privacy for these years. Paul had every reason to have a gigantic pity party for himself, didn't he? But he chose another perspective. You see, Paul had wanted to go to Rome to preach. And I imagine in his mind, he thought, yeah, we're going to rent out the Colosseum and we're going to have crowds and I'm going to preach the gospel. And well, it didn't quite work out that way. Instead, he was chained to a palace guard. Now, these guards, the Praetorian Guard, they were called, were an elite troop that most of them were actually personally chosen by the leader of the nation, Caesar himself. Other than Caesar, they were the highest paid people in the whole Roman Empire. And when they were done after their service, which was a 12-year period of time, they were made leaders all throughout the Roman Empire. So think about what God was doing here. There was not a more strategic group of people that Paul could witness to if he was going to reach the Roman Empire. Every four hours, a future leader of Rome was chained to him. You tell me who the real prisoner was at that point. Now, I, I, I did a little math this week, um, and I figured if he was in prison for two years, every four hours, uh, now I don't know if some of the guards repeated that shift or if it was a new guard every single time, he could have witnessed to 4,380 soldiers during that time period. They watched him write the New Testament. They saw him pray without ceasing. And they observed his joy in a very tough situation. With every guard change, I can just imagine him say, Hi, my name's Paul. Let me tell you a little bit about what Jesus has done for me. These men would become very influential in the years to come. In fact, the history books tell us that Caesar's wife and his mother and his children all became Christians. And I would suggest to you that it's very likely that the Apostle Paul somehow was a part of them becoming influenced. Being in prison was not a problem for Paul. It was an opportunity. And it was all a matter of perspective. No moaning and groaning here. Oh, the power of perspective. And friends, I want to challenge you today to consider what's going on in your life. Might be good stuff, might be some very difficult things. Would you actually pray a prayer and say, God, would you help me to see this from your perspective? Now, I want to ask you to do a little mind exercise with me. I want to ask you to think, don't say the name out loud, but think of someone that you know personally who seems to be the least likely person that you can imagine to ever become a follower of Jesus. They're sitting next to you. Don't elbow them. Just, <laughs> but if you can imagine in your mind somebody that you think, man, this would be amazing. I, I, I just really can't imagine them becoming a follower of Jesus. Okay, if you've got that person in your mind, now I want to ask you to think of someone that you know of in the world today. Not somebody you know personally, 
but um, someone that you think is very unlikely would ever become a follower of Jesus. It might be a politician, it might be an entertainer, um, a prominent sports figure, um, a world leader. Have you got that person in mind? Now you have two people in your mind, someone that you know that you don't think will probably become a follower of Jesus and someone that's maybe more prominent that you don't think would become one of Christ's followers. As you think about these people, can I ask you this question? Is it possible that they could be born again? That God could move in their life and save them? And then the question is, would you want them to be? And would you welcome them into the family? As you're thinking about those things, I want to move us on to the second point. I only have two points today, which is really strange for a preacher. You're supposed to have three points, but I only have two today. The gospel is for everyone. The Apostle Paul said this. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promised in Christ Jesus. Friends, this was an absolutely radical concept that Paul was bringing. It might not seem that way to us, but in his time and in that culture and that place, to think that people other than the Jewish people could be a part of God's family was really a concept that was beyond people's imagination. There are certain people that God wants to save, that he is willing to save, that you and I might think are too far gone and maybe even wonder if we'd want them to be a part of the family. But this scripture is a reminder to us, and there's many other scriptures that would point to this fact too, that God is inviting us all. In fact, this scripture from 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says it so well. God, he is, not, he, or he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Notice the words, anyone and everyone. Do I have that same attitude? If God is my father, do I bear a resemblance to him in that everyone aspect? Do I even stop to think that those people who I know that are not committed followers of Jesus are in trouble. Scripture says if the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And so Paul and the people to whom he is writing, the people in the city of Ephesus, are struck by the mystery of this. Paul calls it a mystery because all they'd ever known, all they'd ever been taught was that God was the exclusive possession of the Jews. Let's just forget about everyone else the non-Hebrew world, it's about us, they had been taught. And now they're coming to see that Jesus Christ was more, or did more than provide salvation for them because the real gospel is for everyone. Whosoever will may come, the scripture says, was indeed a strange mystery to them. And maybe it's a bit of a mystery to some of us. If we look at the way that we live, I'm not so sure that we get it a whole lot better than they did. 
Are we comfortable with whomever the Lord might want to bring into this wonderful fellowship called Crossview Church? People maybe that are struggling with addictions. People that are, let's just face it, difficult. People that maybe don't smell too good. People that have backgrounds that we can't even relate to. Do the ministries of this church exist solely for the purpose of meeting the needs of those of us who are already here? Or can we see that God has called us to be here to reach out into a world that's lost and needs him? Are we truly ready to embrace the mystery that God wants to include rather than exclude? I love the story that I heard many years ago of something that happened during World War II. Some American GIs were there and they were fighting in uh, kind of a remote area of, of France. And one of their fellow soldiers was killed in battle. And uh, there were three guys that were really close with each other and one of the three had been killed. And the two friends uh, asked their leader, their sergeant, if they could take their friend and find an appropriate place to bury him. And he gave them permission to do that. He said, you have the next couple days to do that then rejoin the troop. So they carried their friend, his friend's, their friend's body, and they saw a little village there, and they knew that pretty well every village had a little Catholic church in it. This is in France, where most of the people are, are Roman Catholics. And sure enough, they got into this town, and they saw a steeple there, and they went over to the the Catholic Church, and like most Catholic churches, there was a graveyard right next to the church building. And they walked up, and the priest came out and saw them, and um, they were able to communicate with him. He spoke enough English, and they said, this is our, our friend, and um, we were asking that we could bury him here in the graveyard. And the priest hesitated for a minute, and he said, was your friend baptized into the Roman Catholic Church? And they said, we really don't know. Um, he never really talked about religion or God, or so we, we don't know. And the priest said, I am so sorry. But he said, this graveyard is for only people that are Catholics. And they were, you know, polite and said, we understand. And they buried their friend. Just a, There was a, a, like a fence around this graveyard. Um, they buried their friend just outside the fence. Uh, so it was close to the graveyard, but not really in the graveyard. And they buried him there, and it was getting to be dark, and they found some lodging for the night. And uh, they went and uh, spent some time uh, sleeping that night. And the next morning, before they were going to return to their troop, they went back to the church to pay their last respects uh, to their friend. And when they got there, they, they couldn't find the grave. I mean, they just dug it the day before and they couldn't even find like that the ground had been messed with at all and they couldn't figure out what was going on. They looked and looked and finally the priest came out and he said, I know that you're looking for the grave of your friend. He said, let me tell you what happened. He said, last night I just couldn't sleep because I told you no, that you couldn't bury him here. So in the middle of the night I went out and I moved the fence out to include that grave too. And he said, look there inside the friend, fence is your friend's grave. The gospel includes. The gospel widens the fence so we can say, yes, you are welcome here too. 
Now, the scripture that we read uh, said that we are um, heirs together, we are members together, and sharers together in this business of the gospel. Heirs together. Let's talk about that for a minute. An heir is someone who receives an inheritance, right? And you don't earn an inheritance. An inheritance is a gift. An heir is someone who receives that which someone else has earned. And friends, that's you and me. Jesus earned an inheritance for us. Look at what Paul writes in another of his prison letters. Uh, We see this in... uh, uh, Let me see where this is. Colossians 1 and verse 12. You see it on the screen there. Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people and the kingdom of light. Your Father has qualified you to be one of his heirs. Together we receive the inheritance of the Lord. You do. I do. Even Lutherans do. (laughs) Pentecostals do. Presbyterians do. Christians in... In Haiti, and in Thailand, and in Uganda, and in Brazil. The one who chooses to follow Jesus as a young child does. And the person who on their deathbed finally turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, come into my life, be my Savior and Lord. They receive the inheritance as well. We are heirs together. God does not exclude, he includes. And then Paul says that we are members together. Now, the the term that Paul uses here is a really interesting term. He invents a word. The Greek word he uses is found nowhere else in the Bible or in any other contemporary Greek literature before Paul uses it here. Susoma is the way you would pronounce this Greek word. In order to make this point, Paul, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit, invents this word that most literally means belonging to the same body. Members together is the way we have it translated here. But it means members that belong to the same body. It's like your nose and your left ear and your right elbow are all saying, yeah, we're all a part of the body. We're different, but we're part of the same body. They have equal right to that. One of my favorite stories that illustrates this uh, point so well is that many years ago, there was a graduation ceremony at a law school back in Chicago. It's called the Chicago-Kent College of Law. The highest ranking student that was graduating that year, when he was given that honor, uh, his name, by the way, is Mr. Overton, And Overton is blind, totally blind. And he insisted that half of the credit for him being the highest ranking student went to a friend of his whose name was Kasperzak, another student who was graduating. They had met one another early in their educational journey there when the armless Kasperzak had guided the blind Overton down a flight of stairs. And this acquaintance ripened into a friendship and a beautiful, a beautiful example of interdependence 
The blind man carried the books that the armless man read aloud in their common study. And thus the deficiency of each one of these individuals was compensated for by the other's ability. That's a great picture of the body of Christ. See, I have deficiencies in my life. And I hope it's not offensive for me to say you probably do too. But my deficiencies can be made up by gifts that you have. And perhaps some gifts that I have can help make up for the stuff that's missing in your life. We need each other. We're members together. We're belonging to the same body. And so look with me at this scripture from Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So Paul says we are heirs together, we are members together, and then he says we are sharers together. And what do we share? We share the boundless riches of Christ, he said. All that God has for us. In, in, in verse 8 of, of Ephesians, uh, this is just two verses after where I stopped reading earlier. He talks about the boundless riches of Christ. In another translation, it's worded this way, the endless treasures available in Christ. Nobody gets more. No one gets less. I don't get more because I'm a pastor. The murderer on death row who receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior gets as much as everyone else. It's not, not an idea of God divvying up his riches and saying, well, you get a little bit here, you get a little bit there. The idea is that together we all receive the riches of Christ. And the key word in each of these points is the word together. Heirs together. Members together. Sharers together. We receive all that God has for us, not alone, but as a family of God. Paul is going to great lengths to make this point, even inventing a word, it appears, to express it, that all together we make up the body of Christ. We're not in competition with each other. We're in partnership with each other. Are you a part of the family? Have you chosen to follow Jesus? Then you're part. We're heirs together, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ. So two take-homes for us today as we wrap this up. The gospel is for everyone. Please remember that tomorrow. When you're on the job, when you're in school, maybe when you get home today and your neighbor's out front and he waves to you. We're members together and the gospel is for everyone. And then the, the second thing I want you to take home t today is perspective. Like Paul said, hey, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He, he chose a perspective that helped him to, to see things in a, in a positive way. And I want to encourage you to do the same. Just this last week, I uh, had someone share a story with me that uh, I think illustrates both of these points so well, and I'll con conclude with this. It's a story of a, about a missionary 
that was serving in the nation of Vietnam. It was a difficult season of ministry for this missionary. The people were unresponsive, seemingly, to the gospel. The church there was having some real problems. There was division and strife, and the days were just hard. And this missionary came back to his apartment after a particularly long day when things had not gone well. And when he got to his apartment, he discovered that he'd been robbed. His apartment had been broken into, and everything had been taken, except for one couch that was still there, probably because they couldn't figure out how to get it out of there. Everything else was taken. And it was just too much. It was like the last straw for this missionary. He collapsed on the couch and he cried out to God these words. You have got to get me out of here. I just don't love these people. I don't love the Vietnamese anymore. And he, he just was weeping. He lay, lay on this couch and eventually it got dark and he just fell asleep on the couch. And in the middle of the night, he woke up and he felt like the Lord said to him this. You're not here because you love the Vietnamese people. You're here because I love the Vietnamese people. Perspective. His perspective was changed. And he was reminded that the gospel is for everyone. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to come back to the wonder and the mystery of your love for us. A love that took you to the cross. A love that called you to lay down your life in our place so that we might be forgiven. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see that what you did there wasn't just for us. It was for everyone. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to see people as dearly loved by you. People that you died for their sins as well. And Lord, if there's people in our life that we find particularly challenging or difficult, I pray especially for those, that Lord, that you'd give us eyes to see them as you do. May we reach out in your love to them. And then, Lord, I pray for a new perspective. I imagine there are people in this room today that are going through some really difficult times. But I pray that your love would so touch their hearts that they'd be given a new perspective, that you'd allow them, Lord, the grace to, to see things from your perspective and from a different angle. God, I pray that as we do, it would give us courage and motivation to move on and to, to move forward for all that you have for us in this challenging time that we're facing. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. Thank you for uh, the opportunity we have to stop and consider the, the amazing truth that your word has spoken into our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.